Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 93, week 93, volume 93, number fucking 93. Hey going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. So this week's guest is Sabian from Alpha Wolf, and that will be coming up later in the show. So let's kick things off with albums of the week and single of the week. Our first album of the week, well actually both of the albums of the week, have been out for at least a week or a couple of weeks. The first one is from Norma Jean. It's titled All Hail. It's out now on Solid State Records. Norma Jean are one of those bands that are consistent. They've got a rabid fan base and this album is exactly the intensity you want couple of surprises in there. I didn't think I'd enjoy it as much as I did. It was a slow burner for me, but if you like Norma Jean, you like what they do, you will never be disappointed at all with this album. Great stuff from Norma Jean again. Get into it if you've enjoyed something in the past and you haven't given them a spin recently. You'll really enjoy this album. Outstanding stuff. That album is called All Hail. It's by Norma Jean and it's out now. The other album we've got to give a shout out to is the new one by our boys in Bare Bones. The album's called Rival Minds. Now, if you don't know who they are, they're kind of dirty, punky, hardcore with heavy riffage. I'm talking a mix of Every Time I Die, Cancer Bats, this kind of stuff. It's Riff City. It's wall upon wall riffage. Really enjoyable stuff. It's got a southern twang to it, as usual. And it's great to see these guys constantly stepping up upon each release. Really excited for this band going forward. I think their potential is massive. I think they can really reach some international audiences. We also have had Tom on the show, the vocalist. Wow, all the way back on episode eight. So he's really an old school OG guest of the show. Make sure you not only spin the album, which is called Rival Minds by Bare Bones, but if you've also got some time this week and you haven't heard that chat with Tom, go back. It's episode eight. Now, on to the single of the week. The single of this week goes to, without a doubt, The Warriors and their new track, Burn From The Lion. It's off their upcoming album, their return to form album, which is called Monomyth which comes out December 13th on Pure Noise Records. This band are one of my all-time favourites in the hardcore game. The fact that they took a while to come back and they've come back with such a fucking ferocity is outstanding. This song is everything you expect in a hardcore track, but even better. I love it. I can't get enough of it. This album is going to knock your socks off when you finally hear it. Stoked for Marshall and the boys that Not only are they returning, but they're returning with a real fire in their belly. Great to hear great stuff from the Warriors. That single is called Burn From The Lion. The album is called Monomyth. It comes out December 13th on Pure Noise Records. Make sure you give that single and that album a spin when it comes out. Now, if you're a recent listener or you've been with us Since the start, you'd also know that Marshall, the singer of the Warriors, has been on the show. He wasn't too long ago on the show. That was episode 87. So spin the single, listen to the chat with Marshall, get into it this week. 
So the only other thing we've got to talk about at the start of the show is the usual help us out with some shares this week, guys. Tell someone about the show. Share it on your social media. Also, if you've got some time this week, help us out with a rating and a review. Whatever service you use to listen to this podcast, help us out with a like, a download, a rating, a review, whatever it is, help us out. Also, if you follow us and like us on Facebook, help us out with a rating and a review there. All of it adds up and means a lot to me and the show and really helps this show grow. So I think that's my ramblings done for the start of the show. Let's kick into the part of the show we're all tuned into for. This week, I got to sit down with Sabian from Alpha Wolf. And the first thing I got to say is thank you so very, very much, Sabian, for taking some time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. We'd been in talks and trying to organize it for quite a while, and we finally secured some time. So it was great to get him on the show. Really in depth conversation. It's a behind the curtains peek, as per usual, into everything about Sabian, the band, and everything in between. That chat with Sabian is coming up now. So, basically, start off with kind of the same question for everyone, and it's kind of. Do you remember an artist, not necessarily a heavy artist, but just a musician maybe or a rock band that kind of helped you discover that music was an entity in itself? Um, I think starting out, it might have been Silverchair. Um, I got into them at a real young age. My mum got me into them and I went and saw them when I was six. And that's a memory that's definitely stuck with me. So just seeing their live videos and stuff like that on TV, I didn't know how to comprehend it, basically, and I thought it was the best thing ever. At six? What the hell? Like, What's going on with you at six that you're getting into this really guitar-driven music? I mean, are you just engrossed by the passion, the anger? What about that silver chair sound drew you in? Um, I guess it was my mum being a real cool mum and just playing that sort of shit all the time and that's all I knew Fuck. and it wasn't it wasn't really until I was about maybe 13 or 14 that I actually wanted to pick up a guitar but it was always there with me Fuck. so music was clearly part of the household when you grew up like music was a, a thing that was welcomed and supported then by your mum yeah there was always a drum kit in the house with a double kick pedal and back then like None of my friends that ever saw a drum kit knew what a double kick pedal was and stuff like that, but there was one at my house, so that was pretty cool. Bit of a flex. <laughs> yeah, massive flex at that age. And um, the drum kit, you know, that is kind of, you know, anguish um, for anyone who doesn't realise one of the earlier bands you were in, you were playing drums in that band. So was drums the first um, instrument you really focused on or was guitar the first one? Um. Basically, for anguish, we, um, I always played guitar as my favourite, but all of us mates got together and wanted to start a band, and we needed a drummer and we needed a bass player. So basically, I put my hand up for drums because I could somewhat play, and one of the other dudes put their hand up for bass so we could start a band. And this is when you were living in Tassie too, so... How old are you when you're kicking off Anguish? Like, what age bracket are you at that stage? 
Um, I think by the time it kicked off, maybe I was 18. Okay. Two of the dudes were 15. Um, yeah, it just spanned out everywhere. You don't really get to pick from the greatest musicians in Tassie because there's very few <laughs> of us. So we just put together what we could and made the best fun out of it. So at that age, you, you know, you're wrapping up high school um, without panning too fast far forward um music is clearly something you've got a passion for and a drive for but in high school was that your only focus music or were you looking into other avenues of a career um it was funny that like i wagged so many classes and only ever gave a fuck about music like (laughs) i would do anything i could to get myself into a rehearsal room there's a video of me um, jamming out to some Atreyu that's filmed on a Motorola Razor floating around on YouTube somewhere, and I think now it's sitting at like 13 years old, and the quality <laughs> is shocking. But um, it was weird. Um, university and all that never crossed my mind because all I ever wanted to do was music. Same with John, the other member of Alpha Wolf from Tasmania. We just used to wag every class and jammed together and it hit year 12 when we finished and we kind of just went into shitty jobs trying to push music continuously what was what was it like you know anyone that remembers high school or is in high school knows that they're really driving that you know you got to get your grades you got to have your career panned out um what was the reaction from school that you know a you're wagging not giving a shit and b that you know, clearly music is your thing. Were there naysayers and saying, no, 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 Sabian, you really should be focusing on your studies. You really should be focusing on a career here. Um, Like there, there were teachers that absolutely hated us, but I think in year 11 and 12, which is college in Tasmania, we did have a, a handful of supportive teachers that have even stuck around now. Like I've still got them on Facebook and they're stoked to see what we're doing. So um, we did feel the love from some teachers that were just, you know, your cooler, hip teachers. But, yeah, a couple just didn't get it. <laughs> I don't think they ever will, really. I'd say, I'd say our music teacher didn't get it either. It was some of our art teachers that liked us wagging their classes to go and jam. <laughs> so, you know, with, with Anguish, it, it, you know, you're kicking it off in um, high school or end of high school. Um, you guys released an EP. Um, in 2011 so is this around the time when you're starting to book your own shows because i know when alpha started um and was really kicking off you were booking all the shows but what was it like with anguish with with a shows and b trying to get some momentum behind it um i guess we fully had no idea what we were doing in anguish it was a it was a rocky road but we were just having fun that was back in the day when bands would release their pre-production before their actual release. So we had our entire EP up to listen to as pre-production for a year before releasing it as an EP. And even then we recorded the EP and didn't know what a mix and master was. So once it was tracked, we thought it was done. So that's what the final is. Fuck. And we laugh at that, we laugh at that still. <laughs> um, yeah, because in Tasmania, you get no one to talk to and all the big bands from the mainland were scary as fuck and DMing your favourite band wasn't heard of back then. You know, you just worshipped them. Um, 
as for booking shows, myself and the vocalist of Anguish, he was a bit older, I think. He's like two years older than me. So he started booking a couple um, and we'd just beg any local promoter to get on a show. We managed to book a five-date tour in Tasmania for the release of the EP, but it was like looking back to the dumbest thing ever. I think we played this place three times in three weeks and just <laughs> absolutely clueless. But then, yeah, from there, once he stepped down from the band and I focused on Alf Wolf, I kind of took the reins on booking and stuff like that. And being straight edge, I teed up with the local youth council in Burnie. Mm. And they had like a youth committee where they had some funding to support any youth-related um, projects. And because all the shows I wanted to put on were all ages, drug and alcohol-free, they set up a funding for me to put on shows and bring down bands. Fuck, that's sick. What made you um, want to be straight edge? I mean, that's quite, you know, um, a big thing. Well, not a big thing. It's a decision to make um, at such a age when usually everyone's just getting fucked up and wasted all the time. So what, what brought you to that decision? Um, I guess I'd grown up around a fair few drugs and, like, absolute drunk dickheads and it never crossed my mind that that's something I wanted to do. I was more turned off it completely. And then when all my friends started getting into that at around 15, 16, I just never wanted a drink with them or never wanted to smoke or anything with them. And that's been my mindset ever since. Wow. So I've never, I never tried anything. Um, I, I think as I'm getting older, maybe I don't, consider myself straight edge at all because i think labels and things like that are stupid as fuck mm. and maybe if i do happen to want to try a drink one day i'm not going to hate myself for it and i'd hope like my peers don't hate myself for it because i haven't ever tried it and shit like that and i know that i still hate drugs and whatever but you know whatever happens i don't care yeah i mean i, I agree with you totally with labels and i think labels are also bad in in a musical sense as well but it's um it's quite an interesting thing that um, when you make a life decision that you can't do whatever you want with it, like as you said, hopefully your peers will, you know, if you decide to have one beer, you know, whenever, yeah, hopefully, yeah, yeah. hopefully your peers don't give a shit because it is your life. Um, and even just being straight edge, whether you call it that or not, um, hopefully people stick by that too. Has there ever been um, anyone that's, you know, there are dickheads out there. Has anyone ever given you shit for it and tried to, you know, say, nah, just have a fucking beer, man. Just have a fucking beer. Have a smoke. You know, whatever. Who gives a shit? I think for the most part, it's been pretty decent. Like, anyone will razz anyone for anything small, but you you can tell when it's a razz. There's been no one too over the top about it, which has been sick. Now, going going back to, you know, talking about Tassie um, and the stuff that was going on in the early days, what... You know, some people listening, we've got a lot of international listeners and we've got a few Aussies as well, of course. But can you kind of explain um, the Tassie scene or lack thereof? I mean, what was it like at that stage? And then what is it like now when you look into the Tasmanian scene? Uh, so basically, I grew up in the northwest of Tassie and Burnie. Um, most shows only were in Hobart, which was for me an eight hour bus ride if I wanted to go to a show Fuck. or a four hour drive. But you know, none of us had cars or licenses at that age when we wanted to go to shows. Um, so 
in the Northwest, there is nothing music-wise. I think there are two pretentious as fuck metal bands in Devonport, which is like an hour drive away, who would sometimes put on overage gigs for themselves and themselves only and would never let another band support. It was a super pretentious scene in Devonport and they, whenever I asked to try and get my own band on, they would just tell me they know Devonport, they know who the people want to see, et cetera, et cetera, and there's no spot for us. And it's like, well, fuck, all right, we only live an hour away and we've had, we've had, we would have friends that come out, but whatever, man, like, you do you. <laughs> As for Hobart, um, the Brisbane Hotel is a pretty prestigious live music venue for Australia, I believe, and we always played there probably too often. I was, I was literally Hobart every two weeks to either see a show or play a show, and at that time, it was very poppin' for All Ages music, which was sick. And that was around the time I started booking shows in Burnie and basically created a small scene from nothing. Like, I brought down some of my favourite interstate bands and would see crowds of up to 150 people, which was unheard of in our small little town. Fuck, yeah. What well, do you feel that um, without, you know, someone like yourself doing that, you know, you're helping helping the scene grow, but you look into Tasmania now and I can't, you know, I can think one, maybe two bands off the top of my head, but really apart from that, there's nothing there. Do you think there's a lack of people wanting to kind of go down the path like you were, like trying to push the scene, book shows, get it going? Um, yeah, there's definitely only a handful of us and like very not many from Bernie, but it's cool to be able to see the couple of kids that have stuck with music from the very first shows I was putting on because most of the kids came out to every single show I put on. Like, I'd remember their faces and, you know, get to know them and everything like that. And now they're all a lot older and doing their own things, which is real sick to see. Now, getting into the start of Alpha Wolf, your anguish kind of transitions into Alpha Wolf around 2012, 2013, I think. Um why the decision to start Alpha Wolf? Was there a goal in mind? And were you literally taking lessons or, you know, mistakes from Anguish, like you were saying, putting out the pre-pro and stuff um, from those days and then implementing them into Alpha Wolf? Uh, yeah, so basically a couple of members left Anguish and me and John were very gutted at the fact that we no longer had a band because we were like the super passionate ones that, would do whatever it takes to I guess the goal at that time was to play a Melbourne show you know if you got out of Tassie it was insane so um we never got to do that with Anguish and me and John had somewhat started a side project where we were on different instruments John took on vocals and I took on guitar and we found two other guys to join us and I guess we're still pretty clueless in the fact of recording and stuff like that we're recording ourselves and kind of just putting the song up as soon as it was, it was, it was done, no hype or anything. Um, it wasn't until I moved to Melbourne and started networking and learning about how you should view your band and um, do releases and stuff like that, that we took ourselves that little bit more serious. And then at that point of time, we recorded a five-track EP, got it properly mixed and all of that. And I removed all of our past, like, silly shit <laughs> all our all our bad songs i think it was about 10 of them because we we're also trying to find our sound like 
one song was a complete Carpathian ripoff. One was heaps more upbeat, Jordy Myers type sounding, and then one was Ghost Inside. One was a Mule. Like we had no idea what we wanted to sound like. We were just writing music that we thought was fun at the time, but then we definitely decided the um, way we wanted to go was heavy, and we took ourselves a bit more serious, put out an EP, and I guess that started the journey that is the current Alpha Wolf. Yeah, what was it? What was it like for you transitioning from drums to guitar? Though was it a simple transition? Because you know we're not disrespecting the guys that play drums, but you're hidden up the back, and on the guitar you're kind of a focal point. People can see you. You're not as focal as the guy with the mic, but you're still a focal point. Um, was there any care or nerves about switching up instruments, or was it just a case of you know I got to do what I want to do, and I feel like with guitar I'm a bit more you know focused and a bit more capable. Um, I guess in that sense, I felt like I was more destined to be at the front of the stage. Even in anguish, I would be doing some spastic drum moves, like I'd stand on my drum stool and command walls of death and <laughs> do do anything I could to be a focal point at that point. And, you know, the passion was always to be a spastic up the front with a guitar. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, the first couple of shows I played on guitar were absolutely tragic. I was trying to do way too much at a time. You weren't doing the guitar. What what's the sling move where you 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 know wrap it around your back and bring it back to the front? You weren't doing the punk move, were you? I think I tried everything. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, that EP I think you mentioned is that Origin you were talking about then earlier? Yeah, yeah, that's Origin. Now, anyone that has kind of been following Alpha Wolf and I, I you know used to live in Melbourne, so I remember kind of those days and that music. People fucking hated Alpha Wolf. You guys were so, oh, yeah. like, nobody um, gave you the props, which is quite funny. You look at Alpha Wolf now, one of the most talked about, buzzed bands around, and then you look back then, um, what's that like being in a band and everywhere you look, people are slinging shit? Does it just make you more determined or are you just literally at any stage feeling defeated? Well, I guess the main thing there was we always loved ourselves. So no matter what bad feedback we'd get, as long as we loved it, it didn't matter. So um, that EP managed to get us to play Melbourne for the first time. And I had enough networks to book our own tours, like up and down the East Coast, like these huge, dumb tours. And we loved it. We had the best fun ever. And for some reason, people hated it. We had that in um tazzy as well mainly because i was the one putting on all the shows so alpha wolf was the first pick on all the bills and the local bands were like well fuck right and i have a turn i was like well you know i want alpha wolf to support these bands so whatever <laughs> deal with it um and we kind of embraced it we started wearing the hoodies that said tasmania's most hated and mm. it came a talking point and we just rolled with it Obviously, deep down, we wanted nicer comments on YouTube and shit like that, but that came a bit later when we decided to change it up and look for a new vocalist. At any stage when that's going on with all that you know, negativity, is do you feel you're creating any sense of a fan base? Like, Is there anyone backing you guys, or is it literally constantly you know, fighting against the, the river and trying to push things up and up? Well, we would see maybe, you know, one or two comments that were nice as fuck and or people posting that they're listening to our music and that would keep us going for weeks, just like one single post. 
because you know we're always searching ourselves on youtube or whatever just hashtag alpha wolf and if we found one thing positive it, it would make our entire day so <laughs> yeah the smallest things back then would do incredible things for us personally also it's quite funny that you know recently you guys um you know sold i don't know if they were remaining copies or new copies of origin and then also dark soul is, is that quite um that's got to feel quite fucking rewarding that now people want a copy of that old stuff. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, so I printed those just as a, like a cash and thing. I'm a CD collector myself, and we never did print them physically. Uh, we had a bit of downtime last year, and I thought, fuck it, I'm going to print them mainly for myself because I think it would be cool as fuck. And the other members in Alpha Wolf that weren't, weren't really uh, um, part of the band then weren't too on board with it because they weren't with us. But um, we put them up anyway for sale and they sold it instantly and it blew our minds because we're like, fuck, uh, maybe some people did care or maybe they're just hectic collectors like myself <laughs> and it felt real good. Um, when did the transition to moving to Melbourne happen for you and was that around Dark Soul? And then also why transition to Melbourne? Was it literally the only way you could see furthering this band was by getting out of Tassie? Well, I think the goal was to always move to Melbourne. Um, I used to fly over constantly for shows. I'd be over once every couple of months for any cool show that was going on. I was obsessed with Parkway Drive heavily for a couple of years there, and any time they would tour, I'd fly to Melbourne to see them. And um, an opportunity came up for me to move in with a friend that lived over here and it was pretty scary because I think we'd just recorded Origin or just put it out, so everything was going pretty cool for us. My job was pretty solid and paid well and I had a nice house and stuff, but I just gave it all up at this one whim of moving to Melbourne. And since then, yeah, it's definitely started like a waterfall of connections and networking and paved the way. But, yeah, it was always the goal to live in Melbourne. I think it is. I think it was, you know, like you say, it would have been nerve wracking as fuck. But I mean, that, you know, that network in Melbourne is such a bigger fucking network. So it was obviously a step that needed to be taken. Um, and then obviously, um, I think, was, was it around this time or oh, when was it? I'm trying to think. When did you start labeling yourselves not a Tassie band? Was it? a year or so after you had transitioned to Melbourne or was it still a while off before you weren't a Tassie band? Cause I think there was a while you were in Melbourne and you guys were still known as a Tassie band. Yeah. Um, I think that label still pops up every now and then and we don't like shrug it off or anything because the band did originate in Tasmania, but we're definitely Melbourne based now. Um, when John finally moved over, we still had two members that lived in Tasmania, so it was still half and half for a long time. But it was when we recruited new members that we definitely became Melbourne. But, yeah, it, if someone calls us a Tasmanian band, we don't say you're wrong. We just say, yeah, we did start there and we're here now. And then um, you're obviously in Melbourne and you guys released um, Dark Soul, the double track. Um, how did that go for you guys' reception? Were you still at that stage kind of hated and not taken seriously or did you notice, because 
that is a little. It's still kind of similar to Origin, but you can. It's starting to change a bit the sound, not dramatically, but are you starting to see an upswing in uh, reception at that stage? Um, not so much. I think it flopped pretty hard. Still the yeah. same as Origin locally, but. We released that one through Chugcore, which is like an American promotion thing for any band that wants to get promoted, I guess. And it started this American buzz, I think, which we started to notice a few more cool comments online and a few bigger views. But our main our main goal at this point was to get something online, like something on YouTube that hit 10,000 views. We saw all our peers' bands hitting... 10,000, 20,000 views and stuff like that. And I love stats myself. I'm always comparing stats. Um, I don't know if that's like something I shouldn't be doing, but I <laughs> find myself doing it all the time. And we never managed to hit that 10,000 viewpoint around that time. But, you know, those two songs gave us new songs to perform on tours and stuff like that. So we'd done another tour out of those, another big tour. And, you know, it was fun. We get to tour with more friends bands and just make cool memories. And then um, was this also, was this around 2015? Uh, I remember um, the, you even started up a record label around 2015, um, you personally, called Last Chapter Records, and you had the one and only signing, which was the Gravy Boys. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I started seeing myself as somewhat of a mentor and um, any friends, bands that reached out to me and wanted some guidance on how to get a tour or whatever, um, I wanted to just be as helpful as I could and I thought at that point that would be by making a record label turns out I had no idea what I was doing but (laughs) I really backed the Gravemind boys from the get-go and they backed me as well as a mentor and a record label what what made you decide to end the label like what you know did you start realizing that fuck this is too much work I I think I definitely gave it the wrong label um as Gravemind I continued to be their booking agent for like just up until recently you know I I definitely wasn't really a label I was more of just a you know if you want to know how to do a couple of things I I think I know how to do a couple of things so let me help you so yeah I probably should have just called it like a mentor program or something (laughs) a big brother program there you go big brother yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) um and then you know before the two singles that were released in 2016, there was a change up in the lineup. And um, where did that all come about? Because it's quite funny, you look at at that time, you wanted Lockie as a vocalist, who's now your vocalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was was the change in the lineup come about because it was you needed a refresher in the band or was it kind of your hand was forced and a few people wanted out? Um, so basically on that tour we did for the Dark Soul 2 track, we had Scotty, who now plays guitar, fill in on bass because our bass player told us like a week out that he couldn't do it. Mm. And there was about 20 dates on that tour and we're like, well, fuck, all right. And I barely knew Scotty. We were jamming in a Parkway cover band together and I asked if anyone wanted to play bass on our tour and, you know, back in those days just... All you wanted to do was tour. All you wanted to do, like, you didn't care if you were playing five or ten people. You just wanted to get on the road with the boys and just go on tour. So um, Scotty put his hand up for that, and we clicked instantly. He was mad on bass. He made us sound better. 
so we knew that we kind of just uh, wanted to switch up the lineup from that point, and which was scary because you know we had the same lineup for like three or four years, but um, it just felt better. So at the end of that, we asked him to be a part of the band, and he'd been writing some songs as well, which sounded a lot better than anything we'd written. So we knew we definitely wanted to take ourselves a tiny bit more serious and something that wasn't coming across as strong as we'd like to were vocals like on record and live. So um, since John used to play an instrument in anguish, we thought of swapping up the lineup a bit and he was originally a bassist as well, but wanted to play guitar for anguish, but now he loves bass. So we asked him to step down onto bass and basically we wanted Lockie and we had no idea of anyone else, but when we asked Lockie, he said no because his band was still going at the time and he didn't want to quit that. So we were stuck in this hunt for a vocalist, which isn't easy. It, it, like in any time, there's not many vocalists that aren't already in band. So we kind of um, scrounged between ourselves to find a handful of people that we knew who'd done vocals and got a couple of people to do like demo vocals over this song we'd written and we picked from that. Lockie must be kicking himself because that was Earthender and I don't think it was, uh, it must, must have been long after he turned it down that um, Earthender kind of wrapped up. Yeah, I think they literally broke up when we managed to release Nailbiter, which oh. was the single he was meant to be on. <laughs> He's got to be looking at it and going, worst fucking decision ever. What the fuck? <laughs> um, that, that edition of Scotty, um, you know, has to have been something that was fucking destined because... You know, anyone that knows, he's not only an uh, instrumental writer for you guys, but he's got that producing engineering knack about him. You know, he's helping all these bands now release massive um, EPs, singles, albums, all that shit. Um, is he that kind of, not only how he gets along, but is he that vital piece that you needed? Because if he didn't join, do you really think the band could have kept going in the direction it has, which is just upwards and upwards? Oh, that dude is crazy. He's one of the most determined and smart people I know. So he's basically taken on hectic managerial type roles for the band. Like he does all of our business. He's like email city from that guy. All the stuff that I would used to try and do and fuck up a lot, he's now got on board and, you know, he still sends our merch. He he doesn't want the band giving someone 10% to send our merch for us and stuff like that. And he's doing these crazy finances for us, seeing lawyers and all this stuff that, you know, we're still sleeping in and he's doing all this shit for the band. He's a crazy hard worker. It also seems like from an outside in that he never stops writing. I mean, is he always just writing riffs? Oh, yeah, he, he's always writing and it's the most insane shit. So basically, I think since he's joined the band, um... I've only written one heavy song for them. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I've definitely tried, but it never <laughs> compares to what he's writing. Yeah, he's come in and, you know, he, the sound has definitely taken a different direction. And when you guys released uh, Nailbiter, as you said, um, suddenly Alpha Wolf are loved. Like the buzz and hype that blew when that song was released was... I think really quite crazy. Um, 
what's it feel like that suddenly, you know, nobody gave a shit, everyone's giving you slack on the internet, and then suddenly with one song, not a release, not an album or an EP, one song, suddenly everyone's like, fuck yeah, check these out, love these guys, suddenly more people are turning up to the show. What's that like being in a band, just one little thing blows up? It was absolutely mind-blowing. Um, I think, you know, we definitely put in everything we could with that, got the best mix and master we could. We um, made sure it had a real cool video and we made sure like we looked cool in the video and stuff like that. So we tried to do it as best we could. And another thing on top is we loved that song so much that we continued to push it in the feeds everywhere, like day after day after day. You see it too often these days where bands will put out a song and expect it to go viral overnight and it doesn't. So they stop posting about it. But, you know, we were still, I was posting that in every single group I was a part of on Facebook. I was joining new music promotion groups on Facebook, like basically need homework, just finding any group with 50 or more people in it that have probably never heard the band before and posting my song in there and stuff like that. And that didn't stop for, you know, weeks or months because we loved that song so much and wanted to push it to the biggest audience possible. And it was definitely humbling to see a more positive response and people just saying, holy fuck, our fourth have done a complete 180 and I like them now. Yeah, I think also you touched on there about all that kind of social media um, and kind of marketing element that you were doing at that stage, but it's also something now that you guys are still um, very, you know, savvy at. Is that something that you've kind of, just um, taken to or is it something that's taken a bit of learning because there's definitely a knack with social media and creating um, attention that you can either do too much that annoys people or you got to do just the right thing and just enough of it yeah I think it's definitely just the right thing and just enough of it so I've, I've stopped since stopped with the um, posting in all the groups I'm in mm-hmm because our music seems to find its own way around, which is sick. <laughs> but I definitely I do all the graphic design myself, like all the Instagram posts and whatever you'll find. That's all me. And, you know, I do notice even sometimes that it seems like we sometimes set the standard for what other local bands will post. And it almost seems like they'll see what we're posting and then go post a similar thing. But, um, you know, I figured all that out just from looking at the biggest record labels in the world and what are they posting when a band posts a new song and I'll take notes and make my own version of what the biggest record label have post about their artists and stuff like that. And, you know, we just treat ourselves as our own biggest artist or whatever. And because we back ourselves so much and we love our own music, we genuinely want people to listen to it. We genuinely want people to click on it. So, um, you know, it comes down to anything like, YouTube thumbnail is so many bands don't take them serious, but it's a huge thing in YouTube. If your thumbnail doesn't look cool, if it's an out of focus or blurred shot still from the um, video, it doesn't look that exciting to go watch. Whereas if it's a cool edited, whatever, cool photo, like, oh, what the fuck's that? I want to go click on that. It is. It's also, you know, like you said, you have to learn and notice what's happening. And I think one of the things that some bands do wrong that Alpha don't do which is really smart, is some bands, even if they have nothing to post about, they'll post something just for the sake of posting it. And that's when it can lead to just being annoying because people are seeing stuff in their feed and it means nothing. 
and then they'll unfollow or unlike and they go, and I'm just annoyed with this band because they're just posting every day for no fucking reason. Yeah, yeah. I guess it it it's a blessing that we do have continuous stuff to post, like could be merch or shows or anything like that. And we always take a photographer with us, so we've always got like fresh content and I try and do as much as I can myself. So we're just trying to keep it fresh and entertaining and interactive, I guess. Yeah, and you can see that because it, it's working with, with um, everything you guys have done. I want to get into how the link-up for Mono came with Grayscale because how big of a thing has Grayscale been for you and also how did that come about? Did you hunt them down or did they kind of come to you? Um, I guess I used to be a big punisher of asshole, as I think every local band in Melbourne has been. Yeah. Uh, just punishing for local slots on shows and stuff like that. And Nailbiter was out and doing real well, which was sick. And Scotty and I had basically written Mono um, before we'd even had Aiden join the band for Nailbiter. So that was all written and ready to go. We just needed a vocalist to come in and spit some words and shit like that. And, you know, we put everything of ourselves in that album and tried to make it as cool as possible and as personal as possible. We recorded it real cool. We went and hired an Airbnb on a beach front and, you know, just things that no one else at the time were doing because we wanted to put everything we could into it and be interesting as well. And we documented that kind of, except the guy was a big stoner and fucked up heaps of the footage. (laughs) So <laughs> um, but no, like so we're we're trying to do everything as cool and original as possible. We ended up with this cool album, which we loved. Like we could not stop showing our friends, sending it to people. We, it's a surprise that that album did not leak from the amount of people we sent it to because we were so proud of it. Um, we sent it out to all the labels that we liked and. Most emailed back with a no, but it was even cool that emailed back because normally, you know, they'd ignore us, but at least they acknowledged our existence. That was kind of cool. Grayscale did say no originally because um, they already had a heavy band at the time that was similar to us. And I think they're the ones we wanted the most. Um, Luckily, I sent a song, our first single, to Lachlan Watt at Triple J to ask if he'll premiere it because we just wanted to get it out and he asked if we were getting signed to which we said no no one wanted us and he literally said hold up give me a minute and at that time he's messaged Josh Merrill of Grayscale and said you're an idiot if you don't sign these kids and I think five minutes later we had a contract and Lachlan said he could no longer premiere the song because we had to talk release with the label fuck that is what you like to hear. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Like, Josh is going so, to pinch himself for that. Like, what was yeah, he Yeah, we always thinking? give him shit about it. Oh, like, that, you know, that that's quite a crazy scenario that, and Josh was also at that stage, and he still does it now, he's doing short, fast and loud too at that stage, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's crazy to be working with him. Fuck. Um, so you get signed, uh, you drop mono, and, you know, you said a lot, a lot of personal stuff was poured into that album, and I know that you did a lot of the lyrics um, on that album. Was that uh, very much a cathartic venting period for you? Because life was definitely a challenge for you at the time. 
Um, yeah, it definitely was. It's lyrics had never been anything I'd ever done. That was that was John's forte for the first two releases, and I just let him do everything. All I wanted to do was mosh and see people mosh and stuff like that. So it came to mono, and everything was a lot different. Scotty was right in the riffs, um, and I wanted to have a crack at some personal lyrics. I don't even know what triggered me into that. It was just like it felt right at the time to give it a crack for the first time and even letting someone else sing those lyrics, you know, um, I had a lot of trust and faith in Aiden to deliver it properly. And he did for that record. And it was pretty crazy to see the response of, you know, the messages flooding the page and people making their own connections with songs. And, you know, we, we definitely found a calling with the emotional side of metalcore with that release. Did you at any stage doing lyrics and, you know, having personal lyrics feel vulnerable putting it out there? Because playing guitar, you know, you're vulnerable if you make a mistake or a string breaks or something. But writing lyrics, it's really opening up um, and letting the world know. Is Was that ever a worry for you? Um, in some aspects. Like, I guess there's a couple of songs on the album that were like, family based and I still in the back of my mind hope that my family kind of never heard the songs mm. um I don't know why I just never really had the deepest emotional connection with family just kind of a black sheep in that sense and um I, I'd feel weird about it if they did but then there was another song about a friend of mine that killed himself and his sister comes out to every one of our shows and it was pretty daunting to play that song in front of her for the first time, but she backs us really hard and we've created a really strong friendship out of that. I think the fact that that album is not only um, really heavy, but it was so emotional and personal is probably why so many people connected with the thing. Yeah, definitely. We, we felt that as well. Like, I guess we took a gamble with the whole emotional lyrics and stuff like that. And we still get the occasional comment, oh, that's so cringe, that's so fucking 15-year-old or whatever. But, you know, in the end, we're doing this shit for ourselves. Now, that album also fucking blew up. Um, Crazy. Um, I think from memory, it finished in the top 30 of the Arias um, and just... You guys, from that point on, have become kind of darlings of the Australian scene in a way. Yeah, it was crazy to see how much that album blew up. So um, Grayscale were obviously still pretty iffy on their new metalcore band that weren't the most popular band at the time on their label and stuff like that. So we never got the option to print vinyl for mono on release. So it was strictly just CD sales and Spotify streams for the charting, which was crazy when their other bands had vinyl sales as well to add onto their stuff. And to see us, you know, go on top of all their other bands on the label at the time blew us away, blew the label away. I think it blew most of the Australian heavy scene away. It was just like, what the fuck? And I think we reached a lot of fans that weren't into any of these other local bands as such, you know, that we started hitting these bigger markets, which was crazy. You also became a band that kind of, I know for for a lot of people that were casual, heavy listeners, 
that if they saw a lineup, whether it was local stuff um, or international stuff, and if they saw the Alpha Wolf name on that, they wanted to go to the show because not only did they like the release, but at this stage, you also, you guys were becoming known as a very impressive live band. Is live stuff something that you guys have always been really uh, focused and determined on making sure you deliver an A game every night? Yeah, 100%. Like, live is where it's at. We love having a polished record and whatnot, but um, we do as much as we can for our live show. And that's more so now than ever. But, yeah, we, we're definitely always trying to give it our everything at the live show and, and to sound as best as possible as well. We're always critiquing ourselves heavy on how we look and sound. So we, we just – we like seeing that praise. Do you guys um is do you you know I know without jumping forward too much you're big into uh, filming stuff and helping bands out. Do you guys do that with your own stuff? Do you set up a GoPro and you know record certain shows and then you can sit back on a day off and see what worked and what didn't work? Um, for the first, I, I yeah I, I filmed every single set we played up until maybe a year ago. Oh, not even a year ago. It was pretty recent that I stopped doing that. But, um, you know, after every gig we would play, we'd come home, watch the GoPro footage. And, you know, if, we, if we'd if done something shit live, we wouldn't do it again. We'd critique ourselves pretty bad. But if something was cool and worked well, we'd do it again. And I guess we polished ourselves from watching ourselves back. And it was a more honest feedback than walking off stage and a friend saying that was sick. You know, we get to see what it was truly like in that sense. And now I've got, you know, years and years of footage of us playing from the back, from the back of my head. <laughs> it's a pretty rare fucking thing for a band to do. Like, um, I, I don't know many bands that would re- record that much footage of themselves just to critique. I know bands would probably do it for a video clip, but you're doing it for homework in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we always wanted to catch any special moment, you know, whether it's we stop a song for a brief moment and hear the crowd sing along like huge. And if it gave us goosebumps that night, then we've got that footage forever, you know. It'll be hidden in a fucking five gigabyte file on my computer, (laughs) but we've got it. Also wanted to ask about the, I think it was around, or it would have been around Nailbiter. You started wearing the the face, um, I don't know what you actually call it, the face mask? What do you call that? Yeah, yeah, the, the medical mask, face mask. Thing. Medical mask. Um, what's the go with that? Like, when did that start and why? Because um, well, since the start looks... of Alpha Wolf, I always wore the bandana because yeah. I thought that was cool and tough and it kind of suited our tough, beat-down, mosh sort of sound back then. Um, I did start doing it because I don't like my facial features and stuff like that, so it's a bit of a personal thing. Mm. And wearing it, I felt a lot cooler. I felt my photos look cool and stuff like that, and um, I enjoyed it myself. And then, you know, obviously the transition to Nailbiter came. We wanted to switch up the look of the band. We went from wearing a uniform to just dressing cool. And, you know, on the Instagram feeds and in Japanese trends and stuff like that, those masks were, like, everywhere. So I trialled it and liked it, and I've just been doing it since. It looks It looks fucking sick. And... Um, I think one of the funniest things I'd noticed is when I started seeing it, um, not only live, but in promos, I've seen a lot of bands doing it. 
Like it's starting to become it's, a bit it's of, definitely taken off, yeah, yeah. It's become Between a fucking us and thing. North Lane. Yeah, well yeah, that was that was one I think who start, was it you first or was it North Lane that did it first? I think he done the medical mask first, but obviously I was covering my face like years before they were dressing up. Yeah, so we'll give the we'll give the OG shout out to you then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, I think we're both big Wes Ball and fanboys in the end. Oh yeah, well, I mean that's a that's kind of a given. And also with your Japanese love affair, I mean that's obviously oh, understandable yeah, yeah. too. Um then, you know, without getting into it too much, there was Aiden leaving the band. Um I don't want to talk about him leaving. I want to talk about what it was like. You know, you guys released a kind of a mini documentary um not long ago about it but you know for a band that's kind of on top in many ways um and then all of this stuff starts happening or happens um the loss of momentum the loss of you know in a, in many sense without it sounding sad boy but a loss of hope um is that starting to really did that start factoring in to the band was there a feeling of well maybe that's it we've had our go um, definitely for a couple of days, they were absolutely gutted. Like the boys were sending through messages to the group chat saying they had like big cries to their girlfriends and shit like that. And it was pretty daunting overall because we didn't know what would happen to us. And, you know, we were getting dragged under pretty hard for some shit that we personally didn't do. Mm. And it was fucking horrible at the time, especially because we'd been with the band so much longer than Aiden had been and they were attacking our project, um, that sucked. Um, but it didn't take long at all. Like Aiden was only part of the band for like, I think 14 months in total before we kicked him out. So we knew that we were the fucking backbone of the band and it's our decision what we want to do with ourselves. So we, we kind of had music demoed for the new EP that we put Lockie on and we knew that was there, but we we kind of all just took some breathing time and um, with a lot of love from Grayscale, like they backed any decision we made. We just had to be smart with today's internet pol- politics. Um, we, you know, it didn't take long for us to know that we wanted to keep doing this. So um, quietly in the in the background, we recorded the Fault EP. We recruited Lockie. We made a mad video with a good friend of ours, Ed Reese. Um, you know, the Fault EP is the best music I think we've ever made, and it felt real, it feels real good now with Lockie. Like he was meant to be the guy all along. He's one of our best friends. He was doing merch for us on runs that Aiden sung on, and he'd get up and do guest vocals every night and shit like that. So he was always there with us, just not on stage with us for the whole time and shit like that. So um. We definitely knew that it was bound to happen with Lockie and, you know, it feels real good now. We're actually friends with Lockie and unlike we didn't hang out with Aiden when he was in the band. It it kind of feels like, you know, the band had constantly, you know, you even if you take a knock, whether it's people saying the music's shit um, and stuff around Origin or, you know, the incident with Aiden, you take the knocks um, you kind of gather yourself, um, but you're not going to be, you're not going out for any reason than your decision. You know what I mean? Like you kind of, would, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no matter what, you're going to roll with the punches and keep going. Cause that, 
I don't. You, you mentioned um, social media politics, and that probably, I think, would have probably been the most difficult thing. But you you kind of gathered your stuff. You had to drop off some shows, um, but you stuck with it. And I think it's paid off. Like you said, I think Fault's not only stronger, but Black Mamba was bang. Like that yeah, was the yeah, return. Yeah. So with, with Black Mamba, it was wild. We um we literally tried to do as much as we could before coming back. So it, it would have been nerve-wracking for Lockie because he recorded Black Mamba and the Fault EP before even being mentioned as a member of the band or anything. He was in the dark and he hadn't done vocals for a year or two. But we're like, you know, let's let's do it. Let's get it all ready and banked up so we can just go bang, single, bang, EP, bang, tours, rah, rah, rah. And, um, you know, it, it was a bit nervous coming back. But I guess with us and the label with Black Mamba, we're like, okay, if our, if our show sells out, we're on the right path. If it doesn't sell out, we've got some groundwork to do. And it ended up selling out in like three days. And we're like, what the <laughs> so yeah from that point we're like all right i think we're good did the label back the whole blacking out social media thing i pitched it to the label because i was like look i don't want that cover photo i don't want that profile picture up anymore i'm sick of seeing the dude um let's just like black it out and start fresh and they're like oh shit you know what if people comment bad things on it and like the hate sparks up again and whatnot whatnot and i think for a black photo it got over a thousand likes and we're like um all right. Yeah, it had it had a couple of hundred shares as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like dudes are just and everyone was just like, "Oh, hype! Bring it back! Hype train starting." Um, the the exciting thing I think with the Fault EP also is that it's helped you guys get your first European tour. It's got you over to Asia. Um, for a young Aussie band, what was it like? touring Europe and not only touring Europe, but touring Europe with a Muir. Um, yeah, putting out the fold EP, like I, I guess a couple of people were upset. It wasn't another full length album, but we just wanted to put out as many locky songs, locky fronted songs as possible in the shortest amount of time. Like we didn't want to take too much time off. So we just put out an EP. We loved it. We love black Mamba and having those six new songs, you know, did give us these opportunities to tour and Sharp Turn Records picked us up via Grayscale Records. They've partnered together to sign us now, which is insanity. You know, Sharp Turn mm-hmm. has a Muir and all these crazy bands on their label. Um, and then we got the ideal dream fucking lineup in Europe with all these crazy bands. And yeah, that was insane. Those dudes were legends to tour with. We had a crazy amount of fans at every show. Like we were getting sing-alongs every night, being the opener band and stuff like that. And we documented that entire thing. And, you know, it was a crazy first tour experience in Europe. And Asia, you know, we're, we're just trying, trying to do things a bit left of centre as always. So um, we got offered a tour in Southeast Asia, like five shows, Malaysia, Singapore and Bangkok and stuff. And it looked like one of those spam emails that you get, you know, <laughs> these places you haven't really heard of that well and these promoters you haven't heard of and who the fuck would want to tour there. And we're like, um, I'd luckily done that tour with another band I'd filled in for earlier this year. So I got to meet a lot of the promoters over there and stuff like that. And a lot of the people that came out to those shows were fans of Alf Wolf and just wanted to meet me. So it was like, fuck, 
I probably should get our boys over here. I'd much prefer to do this in my own band. So um, we got that email and I was like, all right, maybe we should do this as something different. We do have the time to do it. I started reaching out to as many Japanese promoters as possible to see if we can get over there because we love Japan. And I put together this tour that looked awesome, announced it, and then China reached out to us. And we're like, holy fuck, all right, let's do China as well. And it, it was definitely an incredible experience going over there. Exhausting. We done, I think, nine shows in a row, which were fly-in, fly-out shows, and we'd never done anything like that before. So we have to lug all of our gear to an airport, through customs, um, and then go to a show, play. You get to bed at like 2 or 3 a.m. and you have to be up at 6 a.m. to go to the next airport. Ooh. And that was nine days straight. Oh, fuck. you you got to be taking, you know, not only the life experience of being overseas, but are you learning a lot of lessons for the band, like performance-wise, and then, you know, also how to maintain your sanity and your health? Uh, yeah, a bit of everything. Like, um, I guess we've definitely become quite experienced now in the touring aspect because we've done a fair bit of it and we tolerate each other and we know how much we can push each other's buttons and stuff like that. But we've all become, like, the best of friends now um, doing these experiences together. And we're, we're such a tight-knit unit that we definitely feel very inseparable from these moments. Has, you know, you mentioned that you're now a, a, a unit, but has, has touring or being in a van all the time with each other, is that something that all of you have had learned to do or has it been reasonably easy for you guys to adjust to? Because it can't be easy being stuck in the same fucking quarters with the same fucking dudes every hour of every day. Uh, there's definitely people you can't do it with. Like there's a couple crew that we've had over the years that you know we no longer take out on the road and stuff like that just because you, you tend to not stand certain people in a van um you know a certain next front man we couldn't stand on the road and shit like that um there's just certain people you can't do it with so we've got a real solid crew now a photographer a sound guy um and that's all we need and now that you've had the kind of the taste of europe um you know what's what's the next goal because surely that's ticked one box but what's the next goal um obviously america that's an obvious one but where's where's the next goals shows wise because to say you kind of you've kind of dominated and you've learned to you know conquer australia and you're conquering it continually no matter what show you're on you know, you're a big name on Invasion Fest. Like, you're not down the bottom. You're a big name there. So Australia's kind of, you got it. You you know what you're doing. What's the next step for you guys? Yeah, that's a hard one, I guess. Um, So we go back to Europe in just under a week to play the Never Say Die Festival. And we're, we're not opening now, which is really cool. We're the second band on, which... Um, you know, we're hoping to climb the ranks. And our guy that books us in Europe, he wants us headlining in Europe next year, Ooh. which which could be crazy. You know, it would be the smaller rooms and whatnot, but, like, he wants to build our market there and get us over as often as he needs us there to build a nice market and headlining there, which will mean we'll turn a profit and stuff like that. Obviously, America, do the same thing there, hopefully, you know, start at opening and then go back again a year later and, be a bit further up on the bill and stuff like that. As for new places, um, I'm really not sure. I'd love to hit, do a big festival run of Asia and maybe Russia or something. Oof. I think Russia would be fucking wild. 
Like, yeah, yeah. I, um, some of the Asian promoters did mention it in amongst their things, saying they could probably tee it up on a festival one. So something like that would be awesome. Now, you know, with Europe, um, if you're doing a headliner, what's your kind of lineup? You know, sometimes you don't get to pick the lineup, but if you could pick uh, two or three bands that are either European or American to come with you, what would be your kind of lineup do you think that would work for Alpha Wolf headlining? Um, I think if we were given the option, we would bring over a, another Australian band, like a friend's band, maybe someone like Gravemind Ooh, that, yeah. you know, we get along really well with and um, would love to give them an opportunity, uh, opportunity like that. And then there's some bands we played with in Asia that are crazy. Like they shouldn't have been supporting us. They were just that insane. So um, there's Annalyn from Bangkok. They were incredible. Mm. And Pale Dusk from Japan blew us away. Pale Dusk. I'm writing that down now. Pale Dusk. Yeah, they're so sick. Um, now, before we get into a couple of things that aren't Alpha Wolf-based, more industry questions and opinion piece uh, things, um, what's going on for the band now? Because Scotty's always writing. So I assume he's probably written four more albums at the rate that he writes, but... What's uh, what's the go with music? Because you guys don't play anything from mono. So are you going to look to try and drop music again soon to fill out your set more? Because if you're playing more shows, you, you've always got the people that want new music. So what's the go with music at the moment in the uh, Alpha Wolf camp? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Fault is only six months old. So we don't mm. feel guilty about only playing Fault songs currently like, to us, it feels like we're overplaying the fuck out of them, but we are only hitting cities once in the last six months, so the fans aren't complaining at all. Um, and it is it is feeling good to have not as many um, mono songs on the set list lately, just to freshen things up a bit for us as well and see how it goes live. And it does seem like everyone's enjoying the fault songs a lot more than the mono songs, which is crazy considering how big mono was for us. But um, there's definitely new stuff in the works. We're busting out another full-length record at the moment. Mm. Um, we're just, you know, fine-tuning everything, and that should be released next year sometime. Yeah, you guys never stop grinding. Um, it's just it's fucking insanity, the way you guys grind out things. Shows, music, merch, fucking insane, dude. it's turned into its own sort of business plan like we don't want to view ourselves as a business but we know we are so talking to people like marshy from diaries mirror and stuff like that and how he's the cog in the machine that just keeps grinding um you know we learned a lot from people like him you know you always need to be 10 steps ahead and you need to know what you're doing for the next 18 months and stuff like that so we're, we're pretty on the right track i believe yeah, it's also about hustling. You've always got to have that passion to hustle. No matter, you know, where you are, you can't be complacent with what you've done. you just got to keep hustling. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, and I think that's also what a lot of people that um, see Alpha Wolf nowadays and get into Alpha Wolf, they recognise and appreciate. So you guys are doing the right thing. you just got to keep the fucking thing rolling. And that just means yeah, yeah. more work, unfortunately. Um, so I wanted to ask a couple of things just with, you know, someone who's really into music um, and is in a band um, has tried 
a record label, all of this kind of stuff. Um, one of the questions was, you know, with the way the industry is and streaming and downloading is such a big thing um, for a band or an artist, what's it like seeing the industry the way it is? Do you see it as a challenge to do things nowadays or do you see that it's such an exciting time? And what I mean by that question is nowadays physicals aren't really a thing. They can be. Uh, Merch is a bigger thing, but um, it's not the same as it used to be. You couldn't just, you know release cds and then then them sell bucket loads so is the industry a powerful thing nowadays or is it a negative thing for a band um i i see it as a positive i love embracing new ways of anything technology wise whether it be music or whatever um the age of spotify now i think is incredible and we're only gonna ever embrace it i've noticed a lot of bands lately are embracing it more so than ever and kind of changing their release schedule to suit Spotify. So they'll do more than your average one or two singles before an album drop. They'll do, you know, five or six because then they'll get all the heavy playlisting through Spotify and huge streams from that. And, you know, more people will find their band from these workout playlists or whatever they're finding them on. And we will also aim to do the exact same, you know, seeing our Spotify streams, they're constantly climbing and we just hit a million streams on Black Mamba, which is like fuck, fuck up huge for us. Um, and to see that happen, we're only going to embrace it more. We're, like I still personally love CDs and vinyl as well, so we're always going to do those for those who like it. And, you know, our, our pressings of CDs do run out, so we repress them all the time, so they're always in stock. But whatever's new and trending will always be on board. It's it's a bit funny seeing the old jaded people who will constantly fight against it. Like, no, nah, I'm just going to buy a CD and try all day to put it on my phone so I can listen to it. It's like, oh, you could just download the app. <laughs> there are there are a lot of people like that. They're like, I'm never getting Spotify, never getting Spotify. It's like, well, it could, yeah, you yeah. Know, it could make life easier. Um, what about, you know... You said in there that, or earlier you said about, you know, the band is kind of a business in itself, but how do you find a way to still focus on it as a career but still make it fun because you don't want anything to become too um, strenuous that you're not enjoying it? Um, I guess we just love it. Like, if we call it a business, we love our business. Um, I do all the visual side, all the merch and the social media and all that stuff. And Scotty looks after the finances and he'll write the music and we've all got our odd jobs within the band and it just works. Like luckily between all of our heads, we just make this empire that is Alpha Wolf work and we love it at the same time. You know, if we get an email for a new tour offer, we're instantly glowing and jumping around the room that day or a new exciting opportunity to do something and it's it's because of the hard work we're putting in you know we love that it makes us feel good that we're getting recognized because of that i think also part of that is that you're getting recognized because of the australian scene and what you've done like i said earlier with the australian scene um how do you feel about the australian scene are you excited by it 
Um, and then the other part of that is um, where, you know, you said all ages shows were something you used to do. You know, for you, do you think that's a lost art that we need to reignite in Australia? Oh, 100%. Um, I've always been a huge supporter of the local scene. You know, I've attended shows from my younger age. I used to go to, I used to fly over to Ashhole shows when I was like 16 by myself and stuff like that. Um, and that's never stopped. You know, I just always loved it, always wanted to give back, and it feels good to be a big part of it right now. And I think a lot of the toxicity online has seemed to die down lately. It's still out there, but I think we're pushing past it, which is really sick. As for all ages shows, unfortunately, it's not as cool now as it was 10 years ago for the younger generation to look up to bands or to want to play a guitar or whatever, you know. Um, I think it's because in mainstream media, there's not as many rock bands or anything. It's all DJs or whatever. So in the eyes of a younger kid, guitars and drum kits aren't as cool as they were as they were when we were growing up you know we idolized anyone with a guitar and shit like that so i think that has affected our all ages crowds it's hard to put on those shows as well because they're not at actual venues we have to outsource a pa um liability and everything so they cost a lot more than your average 18 plus shows to run and unfortunately it's a cost we don't want to run into too much we do try and be a part of it as much as we can but it's definitely died. Yeah, the, the other thing about the live scene, which, you know, you see it in Melbourne, but it hasn't really affected it, or I don't know, has it, is the closures of venues. It seems to be every state is having it that, you know, places are closing down. And um, do you think that is something that we can just keep, no matter what, we can always find somewhere to play? I think Melbourne's lucky in the sense that it's always thriving for local music. It's a great place place to live for music. Um, it's always sad to see a venue close down or to run into some trouble, especially if it's a place you've played a lot of times. Um, and I guess all we can do as like artists is support them as much as we can and go to more shows ourselves. Um, and I think it's always good to see that kids turn out to shows. No matter what, kids are turning out. Um, and that's good. Yeah, yeah. We need that. And like I always say on this is... There's a band you like on a bill, go and support it. It might only be ten bucks, could be twenty bucks. That's still not that much. Just you know, just go out and support because you turning up is vital to those bands being able to get the opportunity for another show or another couple of shows. Oh, hundred percent. Um, and it's the same with the merch. You know, a t-shirt. Um, I still love buying a shirt. You know, even if you go to a show and you didn't know that band and you see them and you go, "Fuck yeah, that was pretty good." Go back, buy a shirt. You know, support the bands. Uh, helps the scene grow. Helps us get more Alpha Wolves coming through the younger generations. It's vital. Yeah, yeah. I, I love selling merch. Like um, on our recent run with August Burns Red, obviously they have a much older fan base, and I think probably seventy percent, seventy percent to eighty percent of the crowds every night had probably never heard of us, which um, was pretty cool. And most of the merch we'd sell each night would be a new fan telling us they'd never heard us before. They loved it and they're going to buy a shirt because of it. And, you know, that's a really cool interaction. And it shows to us, like, physical form that we are making new fans night after night doing those sort of tours. Yeah, fuck yeah, man. That's what you want to see. Um, yeah, it's sick. Now, the last question before we look to wrap things up is um, filling in guitar. You mentioned it earlier. Um, anyone that's noticed, you've done a bit here and there. Um, 
how does that come about? And are you becoming a bit of a, you know, kind of reliable source and workhorse that, you know, you can learn a set out of nowhere and suddenly help out a hardcore band for a tour? Um, I semi hope not. Um, the band I filled in was a lot more difficult riff wise than Alpha Wolf. So I did actually have to study the music and get into it pretty hardcore. And more so, they're just, they were a bunch of rookal dudes and they were going to parts of Asia that I never really had my own personal sights on traveling there. So I thought, fuck it, I'll go with this band across those countries off my list. And I never thought it'd be places that Alpha Wolf would travel to because they're sort of like niche markets and we're kind of like in the big business now, Europe, America, Europe, America, that I didn't know if we'd ever have time to fit in these sort of countries. So um, it was more of an opportunity at the right time. We had downtime and I just felt like hanging out with some good dudes and seeing some new countries. Well, if you're not doing the guitar work, I've also noticed that you're popping up on stage filming shit i mean when did that oh yeah yeah yeah. when did that start for you and is that another thing if a band's rolling through melbourne and you're getting hit up a lot with people saying um you know sabian do you mind uh filming our set yeah yeah so i've been doing that a bit lately um i've always had a fascination with cameras and whatnot and i think there's definitely a lack of that sort of content these days you know it's a lost art form somewhat so I started doing it for friends bands and putting them on YouTube and stuff like that. And then I started making little edits, like recaps of shows that bands can post the week after their show. And I'll charge for that. And it's turned into a little business for me, which is really cool. And I've built myself a little name for that. And it's something I can make money on, on the road. It's fucking dope. And it looks pretty sick too. They're pretty, pretty nice looking, pretty slick looking uh, edits as well. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, right, so we're getting into the last thing we do before we finish, and this is the part of the show that everyone seems to actually uh, care more about than our our conversation, um, which is strange. We're we're going to pick your brain, um, and it's called pick your poison. What I do is I give you two options, and you have to pick your favourite of the two. Now, uh. you don't need to justify your answer, but some people get worried that their answer they're they give their mates are going to give them shit for. So you can justify, <laughs> can justify your answer. So would you rather a pizza or a burger? Pizza, I think. Ooh, sounded like you said that pretty simple. Yeah, that was a bit easy. I love burgers, but I seem to get myself a pizza a lot more than I get burgers. Okay. Uh, would you rather Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Chinese. Soft taco or hard taco? Soft taco. Fuck, you're rolling through these. Um, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Maybe smooth. Okay. Coffee or tea? Neither. Oh. Okay, so what do you need? What do you have if you need a pick me up? If you need a bit of an energy kick? Do you have an energy drink? Uh, like, what do you do? Or I'm the, I'm the biggest fiend for an energy drink. Oh, what's your what's your brand of choice? Uh, I hate to admit it, but Rockstar. Oh, do you like the purple one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. I, I'm the worst for it out of anyone I know. Oh, yeah. I love that purple one. I'm a bit of a fiend for that myself. Um, <laughs> keep rolling. What have we got? We've got cooking at home or dining out? Cooking at home. Okay. 
Uh, do you want to go to the cinema to watch a movie or would you rather wait to watch it on your couch? Um, I've been a bit of a fiend for the IMAX. Uh, no, what's it? The gold, gold class cinemas lately. See, cinema. Um, now this one will be interesting from being from Tassie and in Melbourne, but would you rather go to the beach or go to the snow? Ah, uh, the beach. Okay. Uh, PlayStation or Xbox? PlayStation. Um, uh, Super Mario or Zelda? Super Mario. Uh, cat or dog? I have three adorable cats, but I've always been a dog person, but I'm going to have to say cat. Okay. Uh, Batman or Superman? Batman. Wolverine or Deadpool? Wolverine. Terminator or Predator? Uh, Terminator. Fuck, you, you, you're the, you've rolled through <laughs> so far. Like These we're, are cool. You're about halfway through, and I've... I've broken people with these questions and it doesn't seem to phase you. I love this. Um, just <laughs> quick fired. Um, Jason Bourne or James Bond? Uh, Jason Bourne. Uh, Rambo or Rocky? Uh, Rocky. Freddy or Jason? <sighs> oh, there we go. There we go. We heard, we, um... we heard him break. Just the crossover was so sick. Oh, it was a good movie. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Freddy's a pedo, so we'll go Jason. <laughs> uh, Saw franchise or Hostel? Oh. Saw went bad, so let's go Hostel. Okay. Texas Chainsaw Massacre or The Hills Have Eyes? So these are the hard ones. Um I think the Heroes Have Eyes last one sucked, so I'll go Texas Chainsaw. Okay. Uh, South Park or Simpsons? South Park. Anchorman or Step Brothers? Step Brothers. Okay, we're getting into some music ones now. Uh, Slayer or Pantera? Pantera. This one, I think I'll know the answer. Uh, corn or Limp Bizkit? Oh. I think maybe Limp Bizkit. Ooh, okay. A There's a lot of corn songs that I don't like. Yeah, I think they had that period. That's the problem. They have, a, they, they have a huge greatest hits, but I can't say I like that many albums in full. Mm, okay, yeah. It's probably the same. I pretty much like everything from Biscuit. I don't think there's much yeah, I don't yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Slipknot or Machine Head? Slipknot. Suicide Silence or Whitechapel? Um, Whitechapel Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica uh, Manson or Zombie? Manson uh, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Not a fan of either, to be honest Ooh, okay We'll say that one's a draw That's the first draw Yeah uh, We're getting into the last few now When you're playing, do you rather see stage dives going on around you Or mic grabs going on? Um, I love Mike Graves and Gang Chance. Okay. Uh, if you go to a show to watch it, do you watch it from the pit or do you watch it from the sound desk? Um, I found a new love for the sound desk. Uh, would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? Tour. 
And the last one, if you were given the option to own your all-time favourite album, would you want it on CD, vinyl, or streamed? Uh, vinyl. I try to collect all of my favourite all-time records on vinyl. Um, fuck, you smashed that. Well, I'm fucking... <laughs> like, out of, you know, 90-odd episodes, nobody has cruised it through. You fucking... That's just bang. Um, impressed. Um, Sabian, dude... First thing I gotta say is um, really, really appreciate um, having the chance and for you giving me the time to chat. Um, meant a lot. No worries at all, man. Thank you. Thanks, heaps, man. Thanks again, brother. And um, I'll be probably seeing you guys. Yes, I will be seeing you guys. I'll see you at Invasion Fest. Oh, awesome. See you there. All right, brother. Thanks again. Have a good one. You too. Ciao.
So that was my chat with Sabian from Alpha Wolf. And at the end there, you heard the band's track Black Mumba, which is a standalone single. You also heard the band's songs Sub-Zero and Spirit Breaker. Both of those tracks are from the band's most recent EP titled Fault, which is out now through Grayscale Records and Sharp Tone Records. Now's the moment I'm going to spark that little bit inside you to delve in and support the artist and the people that have been on the show. So if you've been living under a rock and you don't know who Alpha Wolf are, but you enjoyed that conversation, you enjoyed the tunes at the end there, now's your time. Get online, stream, download, get into their music. If you love a physical copy, get down to your local record store and see if you can get a copy of that EP. Or if you like to get online and support the guys that way and grab some merch, maybe grab a physical copy that way, do so today. And the other thing is if you're living somewhere and you see Alpha Wolf touring or playing a show, get out, get into that pit and show Sabian and the boys some love. The other thing I've got to do at this stage is again thank Sabian for coming on the show. Thank you so very much, dude. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to catching up soon, and I'll see you at Invasion Fest early next year. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone, episode 93. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.